Let's do it. All right. Hello and welcome to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie, the podcast about all the things that scare the shit out of us and a few things that don't. Hello, Becky. How are you? I'm good. I just decided to move my microphone. I was going to ask you about what you're fearing, but when I did the little intro, it made me think of something. Do you want me to ask you what you're fearing? And then... No, you don't have to. You don't want to just fear my microphone with all the good things? I do fear your microphone for sure. (laughs) So, okay, let's just... We can do whatever we want. We set the rules. I know this is our show. What do you think? So in high school, I did a lot of theater and I was a good Mm -hmm. actor, but I had one problem that... I feel would keep me from having a successful career as an actor. And that is, I cannot memorize lines at all. Oh, So I would get like the lead in the play every year. And then the director would just be so furious the whole time. You did something with mathematics once, right? Where you'd make up a new number every night. Yeah. My cousin was the second lead and she's like a math wizard. And there was this whole bit where I was rattling off the family's finances. And every night I said different numbers and she was able to calculate them in her head. Oh my God. Really? Yeah. But my senior year, I made a concerted effort to try and learn the lines. And it was a lot of effort, constant working on it to memorize lines now maybe that's what it takes and that's what actors do they just study their lines constantly and i'm expecting that i can just look at it a few times before the play and be successful i don't know you're claiming you can't memorize lines when you've never really tried exactly maybe that's it yeah you can't just stare at it twice i mean you have to right the point is i think i've finally gotten our intro committed to memory because i can say it without thinking about it i think we've done 60 episodes or so yeah. so, so that's what it takes can... <laughs> i need to just say something 60 times in order is it just you notice how it just flows now it was like real awkward in the beginning but i feel like it just flows now yeah i think so i think that made all the difference i mean on the other hand you wrote our intro so I feel like if I wrote a play where I came up with all the dialogue, I'd probably do better. (laughs) Well, if I wrote, you mean I just thought of it and used it once and then we're stuck with it, then yeah, we mean, (laughs) we can change it if you want, but that's literally what came out of my mouth one time. Well, I'm giving you credit where credit is due. You're the amazing brains behind this operation. (laughs) I'm seeing you adjust your yoga pants. We're about to go on a hike after we do this. I do feel like if this podcast doesn't work out, there's a Shark Tank idea for like making a better product to get your sports bra on and off. Because I do feel like... Have you been hurting yourself with your sports bras again? I keep getting stuck in them and I have well, to Well, you need to not do the ones that go over your head. I know, but I don't like the zipper ones. Okay, like... we'll do ones that attach in the back. I was thinking something more like a hook or like a Jaws of Life, you know, that... <laughs> You're going to go on a, Shark Tank and pitch A bras that. of life. We'll call it the bras of life. No, I'll walk in. Here's what we're going to do on Shark Tank. I'm going to walk in and you're going to be caught in a bra. And they're going to have to do that naked and afraid pixelation of your boobies. And <laughs> and you're going to just be stuck like this. Yeah. And I'm going to be like, need I say more? And what then we'll think? be like, millions of women are injured and end up in the hospital <laughs> every year. <laughs> and then I'll go, Lori, this will be perfect for QVC. And then the other asshole who sits in the middle will be like, I do QVC too. Right. Like, shut up, little man. Um, <laughs> yeah, we definitely. I'll call Lori. Cubes Cubes, and he'll get mad, and I'll be like, "I'm from Dallas," and he'll go, "Yay!" And I'll say, "I'm a Mavs fan." And he'll go, "Yay!" And then I might get a deal from him. I've got it all planned out. All right, great. Okay. So I just need to work on the bras of life. <laughs> <laughs> 
the device that saves you from your sports bra. Damn it. Now someone's going to steal it from us. You actually said the thing out loud. That's <laughs> all right. So and, and... other than my Shark Tank ideas, what are you fearing today? <laughs> I think we're both fearing grown ass men disappearing into thin air, never to be seen again. Right. And we have mentioned on this show before that statistically speaking, much of violent crimes, in particular sexual violence, is really unreported. And it is so much more unreported when a man is sexually assaulted or sexually violated that it becomes so shocking when a man actually comes forward and says, yeah, I was sexually assaulted. And I applaud Terry Crews, Brendan Fraser, those men who've said, it did happen to me and I froze and I didn't do anything. But we don't really think of that. And we certainly don't think of men being kidnapped, you know, just plucked out of thin air and just gone out of their life the way we do women, you know? And then we can always go, oh, well, men are the ones who are likely to commit the violence or whatever. But that right. doesn't mean that the men shouldn't be highlighted for the violence or the crime that is inflicted on them, too. Case in point, when I watched the John Wayne Gacy documentary that came out recently, they had some early victims that survived that were now, you know, 60, 70 year old men. And, and you hearing... can see how traumatized they still are. Yeah. It is painful. I watched that thing. We need to do a show on that too. But well, and it turns out that... how ripped apart they still are by the violence he inflicted on them, whether he was quote unquote successful in raping them, but where they had to fight him off and he violated them in some way. Yeah. Myrna Dawson is the researcher. Women are one and a half times more likely to be reported missing than men are. And you know, some of that might be Marie, that when a dude goes missing, it takes longer to report because they think, oh, he's just a guy out there living his life, you know? Yeah. But yeah. we've got a couple cases today that we really want to go into in depth. Um, do you want to start us yeah, off with sure, yours? Sure, I'll start. So this is a very curious case. It's a case that relates to the entertainment industry. So my sources are grudge.com, deadline, and strangeoutdoors.com. So on October 5th of 2018, Terrence Woods Jr., a 27-year-old production assistant from Maryland, went missing on the set of Gold Rush. And he was in an area in Idaho, and at times you're up in Montana, Idaho area. Maybe I don't know if you know this area. Penman Mine in West Central Idaho. Penman Mine. Penman Mine is located on the Oro Grande area. It's in Idaho County, a mountainous 8,500 square mile region in western Idaho. The national forest located in West Central Idaho is made up of four separate wilderness areas. It's southwest of Missoula, Montana, just into Idaho. It's a very mountainous region as well. The terrain is 5K to 7K range with thick multi-year deadfall of large trees, making travel by foot very difficult. This mine was pretty harrowing. And I think the exterior of the mine went straight to like a deadfall. I don't even know that show. Do you know the show? I worked on a marketing campaign for it many years ago. It's a show about actual miners that mine for gold. Okay. They're trying to mine for gold in this Penman mine. But this does bring up another topic too, which is I'm really surprised more people haven't died on reality shows. Like, I am absolutely shocked that it has yeah. not happened more often. Oil well drilling is probably one of the most dangerous jobs, as is gold mining or mining for anything. So 
people are dying all the time working in factories with regards to like coal mining and things like that. So now you're bringing people who are inexperienced with what the conditions are inside of a mine. You're introducing like the filming aspect. Yeah. So this was probably, I would guess, a very dangerous shoot. And there were probably a lot of extenuating circumstances like weather and being in a cave would freak me out, I would have to say. <laughs> so Terrence was a production assistant and there's varying degrees of production assistants. And he was a very experienced production assistant. He was on some shows, including ITV's The Voice UK and the BBC's One Saving Africa's Elephants, Hugh and the Ivory Wars. The fact that he got onto the show, I'm sure doing like BBC Saving Africa's Elements, Elephants, not Elements. <laughs> <laughs> so he's not inexperienced. But what I would say about the role of a PA is it's the lowest rung on the production ladder. So the PAs are the people who run around and do a lot of tasks that other people don't want to do. It's a very abusive environment, usually. Can I add to that just a second? Yes. Did you ever watch the show Unreal with Sherry no. Appleby? Mm -mm. So fucking good. It was only on for three years, but the show was absolutely phenomenal. And it is essentially a version of The Bachelor. They have the big mansion and it's all the sleazy behind the scenes stuff. And it is so gritty and dirty and just sleazy and slimy behind the scenes. I mean, that's The Bachelor. But she's also like, she's always got this headset on. They're mm -hmm. always calling her, Rachel. And then she'll have to click her button and say, go for Rachel. And I was like, I want to grab a headset and say, go for Rachel, you know? But then it right. really does not look like a fun, no, it does it's not like look like a fun job. It's like devil wears Prada, but being on your feet all day and like physical stuff and driving around and long hours. I won't say the name of the person, but a person that I know got a job as a PA and he was put under some tremendous pressure to go to a particular location he had never been to before to pick up some equipment. And it was like all on him that if he didn't get there in time, that it was going to set the production back the next day. And he was just almost in tears because he could not find the location and all this pressure on him that it was like an unrealistic expectation. Then you add to that all sorts of big personalities that just feel entitled to be abusive and, and terrible to people. Well, recently we've had some PAs who were either injured or killed, remember? Justified was the one in Chicago, and I don't know if anybody was hurt there, but somebody in New York was killed, a drive-by thing. I bring all this up because apparently Terrence was having a hard time on this set. I mean, it could have been a lot of different things. Like people were saying that the producers and the cast and everybody on this show, Gold Rush, they were kind of like a bro crew and they were very insular and they didn't really take to new people. It was pointed out by other people who had stepped onto this set that it was very common practice for people in positions of power to be verbally abusive with staff members. It was just a daily mm. sort of thing. So in fall of 2018, Terrence got a freelance job working for this London-based company, Raw TV, that produces the Discovery show Gold Rush. The crew, by the way, consisted of 12 people. So it's not a very big crew, but I'm assuming you can't fit that many people in a gold mine shaft or whatever. 
So between October 1st and October 5th, Terrence was in Montana during that time. He was in good spirits, texting his dad, telling him about the scenery, how beautiful everything was. On 10-4, Terrence sent his dad a text saying he got to Idaho. On 10-5, Terrence texts his dad a video of like a serene river cutting through a rocky canyon. Now, I thought this was a little silly, but I guess some Washington, D.C. news outlet reporter saw the video and remarked that it seemed creepy and foreboding, but it probably wouldn't have seemed creepy and foreboding if what happens didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And isn't that kind of one of the points of these shows? Is to I be mean, foreboding so that you think someone might die? When I visited you in in Montana, there's tons of photos that might seem creepy and foreboding if I died or was murdered, right? (laughs) Meanwhile, you maniacally eating brownies seems pretty innocent. (laughs) It's about the creepiest thing that's ever happened there. (laughs) Or like, imagine if I showed up dead and then there were like all those photos of us in masks with like statues (laughs) of animals. And remember that picture of us with the squirrel? Why do we have like a raccoon hat on us. I bought a raccoon hat. I bought you did that. That was yours. Yeah. Anyway, Terrence calls his dad to tell him he made it there okay, that they're filming in Elk City. Uh, 10-5, he texts his dad again and says, I'm coming home Wednesday the 10th. Terrence was supposed to be working on this documentary until mid-November. By October 5th, he was telling his dad he was coming home. So he wanted to come home because something to do with his mom, right? That's what the case is. But apparently his mom contacted him and said, the surgery I'm having is not that serious. There's really no reason. So here's where I start to kind of take a turn on this is why would he tell everyone that he was going to go home to help take care of his mom when he knew she didn't need him? He just was looking for an excuse to get off the show. It was that bad. Maybe, but we're talking about like he's on the set for two or three days and he's ready to go home and... God, how miserable must he have been? (laughs) I mean... I don't, yeah. I mean, there's parts of Idaho that are gorgeous and a lot of it does look just like Montana, but there's also parts of Idaho that are really, really foreboding. Seriously. Not well, according to that Washington uh, news outlet, <laughs> that was the creepiest fucking river he'd ever seen. It was like <laughs> the river of, of like foreboding. So I don't know. Idaho, home of creepy rivers. I mean, they have some of the prettiest towns in the whole country. Coeur d'Alene yeah. is so beautiful, but. There's parts of Idaho I can understand, especially in October, y'all. It can snow any month of the entire year in that area of the country. So it could it could have been really, really cold for one thing. And that is misery out in the middle of nowhere and the mountains. Yeah. So Terrence's dad texted him that day. He said he was coming home, but this was a remote area. So his dad doesn't really know if he ever got the text. And then on oh. October 5th, the crew spent the day filming in the mountainous area of Penn Mine. And this is where things get really weird. Apparently they were finishing up for the day and Terrence was talking to one of the miners. So it's like one of the guys that is the subject of the show. And one of the senior production managers named Simon, who was looking on, saw the conversation. He happened to like look over there, see them talking. And he was in one of the vehicles doing some work when all of a sudden he sees that Terrence takes off his headset, throws it to the ground, and just begins to run at top speed. Like people that were watching said it was amazing how fast he was running. They had never seen anyone run this fast. This picture, I'm trying to picture this. He's like mid-sentence or something with this dude wearing his little headset, waiting for the sign of go for Rachel, go for Terrence. And he rips it off. 
Is he running from some? Does somebody chase him? This is the guy, Simon, that was watching. Okay. Something told me kind of a gut feeling to look over near the cliff your son was at. When I look over there, I what I saw was a radio lying on the ground. I originally thought your son fell off the cliff, so I leaped out of the vehicle and ran over there immediately. To my shock, your son was already 15 feet down the cliff, running like a hare. I had never seen anyone run that fast. At that point, I yelled to the crew to get the vehicle and go to the main road. I proceeded down the cliff after your son, but he kept running. Due to my professional SAR training, I stopped running after him out of fear he'd be further scared. So Terrence, for whatever reason, throws off his headset, runs away. The crew and everybody go after him. But then all of a sudden, once they get to where he is, because he's had a head start, he's nowhere to be found. So they find the first house they can to phone the authorities. The authorities come out and now a search begins. During that period of time, Terrence's parents are contacted and they are flown out to the location and by the way multiple people corroborate this accounting of what happened including a woman by the name of sheree she was a local elk city woman she was somebody outside of the circle of the crew so it wasn't just the crew circling around on their story because that's where you kind of go when you start really trying to think about how realistic that story is is who are the witnesses? Can they be trusted? And what did they have to lose right. or gain by telling yeah. that story? Yeah. So 6.41 p.m. that same day, the Idaho Sheriff's Office puts out advice that a male, Terrence Wood, 27 from London, works for a TV company that was creating a movie in the area of Penn Mine, never been in the woods, no guns. Terrence has been having a really hard time emotionally and had a mental breakdown earlier. Dark complexion, light clothes. Terrence is not responding back to responders per reporter. Terrence does not have communication. There are people searching for him now. So this was a transcript from the Idaho County Sheriff's Office 911 call. So this, let's say, has been having a really hard time emotionally. So somebody from the set obviously so called just, the They already knew he was having a difficult time. Well, that's what they're saying, that he was having a hard time emotionally. Now, the fact that he was going to go home to be with his mom for her surgery or or whatever was unplanned, and it was so at the beginning of the shoot, and we know that his mom said it wasn't that serious, so we do have some indications that he was probably unhappy. So on 10-6, Simon, the producer of the show, calls Terrence to tell him that his son is missing, but Terrence Sr., And he tells the father on the phone about Terrence having emotional problems. He tells him that they've been having issues with his son up until the disappearance. So this is what Simon says on Saturday morning to this father of the missing son. Terrence came highly recommended to us and was our first pick. When I met your son, you know, he didn't live up to my standards. (gasps) I asked him to do things differently, and he didn't know what to do. He said, there are other things your son did not do that I didn't like. So he called, the producer calls Terrence Sr. and tells him his son is missing, and then follows up by saying, basically, your son was doing a terrible job and wasn't living up to my standards. And this accounting is corroborated in a bunch of articles. He literally said that while the son was still missing to the parents of the missing son. Yeah. What? Exactly. Who is this guy? This is terrible. 
No wonder his set is so chaotic and makes people miserable. Um, the Woods family is skeptical about the witness's version of events. The father says, you say my 97-pound son ran down a cliff without tripping or falling and hurting himself, and you don't have a trace of blood or a piece of clothing, and he ran like a hare so fast that nobody could catch him? Um, Woods Sr. told Deadline, Giddings, this is another person from the show, admitted that it would have been a difficult physical feat because it was a really steep terrain, but caveated this by saying that other members of the Raw team had managed to follow after Woods unharmed. And the days following, Raw flew Woods Sr. and Valerie, the mother, from Maryland to Idaho, where they met with Gee, the producer, and two other Raw executives. According to Woods Sr. and Giddings, it was not an easy discussion. Woods Sr. vividly recalled a particular exchange in which Gee said to Woods that Woods had been a disappointment to him and didn't live up to his expectations. What the fuck? Um, Raw's position now is that Gee did not say he had been disappointed in Woods at the point in his communication with the family. Gee did recall saying to Woods Sr. that his son appeared distracted at times, but this was in order to establish whether it was out of character. So I don't want to be somebody who questions an account of a grieving or person in shock parent, mm -hmm. but it's possible when that producer said your son seemed distracted, the father heard he was not living up to my expectations and was doing a poor job when that might not have been the words that the guy used, you know? Yeah. So what I think is not everyone is prepared to deliver this kind of information to a person and everyone has different expectations about how this information should be delivered. Right. So yep. I used to work with this woman and I noticed there was building tension between us and I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. We had to have a sit down because every time she sneezed, I didn't say bless you. What? And when I sneezed, she would say, bless you. And I didn't acknowledge it. <laughs> yeah, true story. So I <laughs> grew up in a family that believed that the only person, well, the only entity or whatever that could depart blessings is God. So as a human being, I cannot bless you. Did you so... have to explain your religious history so that she would stop being bratty around you at work? Yeah, basically. No! But that's she, like, oh my God, you know what? That's like Candy Montgomery, who claims that she axe murdered her best friend 41 times because she shushed her. <laughs> I guess you're, you're lucky that the woman didn't axe murder you. Okay. So in college one night, I was confronted by one of my roommates that when I got drunk, I've apparently told everyone that I loved them, but I would like stop at her and not say anything. <laughs> <laughs> So I know who this is and I'm, so I'm not going to so, My point is we all have different ways of relating to people and honesty and truthfulness and directness. Like some people have said that I'm too direct. Sometimes directness is associated with being aggressive or assertive. Well, assertive is fine. It's aggressive. That's a problem. Assertive just means you're just telling your stuff honestly without, you know, throwing it on somebody else. But you should probably live in England. I, think, <laughs> I, I swear to God, they've never said a direct sentence in their life. And if you do, they just blink at you. I literally had to have my communication corrected via email because we lived in this old house, which I liked the house. It was a very cool neighborhood in Cambridge that 
it's like it's off mill road and it's all like just this cool little area and there was like a rental agent person who was our contact and I basically sent her an email letting her have it. And she came back with, um, just so you know, this is how this works in England. You know, that was her version of right. fuck yourself, Becky, because I don't want to hear another word from you, you know. I had someone sort of, they were joking, not joking, refer to me as like Marie, the truth teller. And, you know, I, I was like, where's that coming from? And then they were just kind of politely saying like, just because it's the truth, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to say it that way. I think the point was, yes, I'm saying the truth about this person or what they're doing, but there might be a nicer way I could do it or a more productive, helpful way that I could do it. I agree that I don't know what you were saying or what they were talking about, but in terms of the difference between honesty and authenticity and people say, I'm just being real or I'm just being honest. I don't want to hear that because it's just an excuse to be mean. Like, for instance, Marie, if I were to break up with you because you took photos of me eating brownie batter, right. I would say to you, I don't think we should see each other anymore. And that's authentic versus I don't want to see you ever again, Marie. You're a piece of garbage. And I don't know why I was ever friends with you to begin with. That's being 100% honest, right? Right. But that's not necessary. Or imagine so, a scenario where I just meet you for the first time and we're really vibing. And I'm like, hey, you know, you're way cooler than people say because a lot of people <laughs> tell me that you're a bitch. <laughs> and I'm thinking this is- Don't great... make me quote you directly. Sorry. Actually, I want to quote you directly. Well, quote me I'm directly. I'm to know yeah. you're not a bitch. And I was like, rubber? I was that many years old when I learned that people called me that. I mean, right. if they say it, fine, I guess, whatever. But at the time, it was like, nobody wants to hear that when they're like 19 years old. But I thought I was paying you like a great compliment. Anyway, oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Today, I'd be like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I am cooler than people yeah. say I am, which is fine with me now. But man, not in those days. Well, anyway, so I'm thinking that these guys, you got to think about it. Like they're working on this mining show. They're rough and tumble guys. And I think that the, the truth is probably here. somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So at this point, it seems like everything they did was the right thing to do, except for the communication with the parents. So they immediately make a phone call. They immediately involve the police. The police don't go, well, let's wait three days and see if he comes back. Yeah. It wasn't one of those situations. And I think it's because of the terrain, right? Well, I've got a picture of where he went missing. Do you want to see? Yeah. That's the mine. The red is where he ran. Yeah. Would you call that a cliff? I kind of call that a cliff, right? I mean, yeah. not a cliff cliff, but like a cliff hill. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would twist an ankle and hurt myself immediately. Like, I've Yeah, the idea of him sprinting. This is from Vanish.us. I'll put this link on our website so you can see the terrain yeah. we're dealing with. I think like, if he sprinted down that hill, he probably should be in the Olympics or something. To me, I would just think like I would throw my headset down and start to run and just fall right in place and twist my ankle. But that's that's I would end up tripping down that hill like in The Princess Bride. Remember when they both fall down that hill? <laughs> right, right. That's actually what that hill looks like. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so going back to the 5th of October, when this incident happens, a massive search and rescue operation in multiple counties with multiple law enforcement agencies kicked off that day. I mean, that's pretty incredible, right? I wonder if it's because it was National Forest. And so it was the National Forest Agency and National Parks Department of the Interior. And they're used to those kind of calls and they have search and rescue at the ready. Maybe. Because it was federal land, but that started that day. Yeah. ATVs, 
multiple dog teams. There was a helicopter with heat sensing technology. There were crews on horseback, but the conditions were extremely difficult due to the rugged terrain. And then by the middle of the week, heavy rains and snow had started and that was hampering the search, especially so the this started early October, right? You said October yes. 5th. Mm -hmm. So seven days of searching and literally nothing had been found. What are some theories? Where like he just got picked up by a helicopter nobody saw, or I don't understand. What happened to him? Space aliens? I know, it's crazy. So here's things they didn't find. They found no prints in the fresh snow. Another officer said that he was shocked that Terrence could get out of the area. The forest floor is thick with deadfall lodgepole and Douglas firs that have toppled down on each other year upon year. The officer described it as trying to run through a giant pickup sticks with some parts so thick with deadfall that your feet would never touch the ground. So you, you would be running across deadfall, essentially. And there is no indication, there are no prints in the snow, nothing that would indicate that Terrence was in the woods. So the day he went missing, there was snow or snow started a few days later? A few days later. Gosh, what happened to him? So these are the official and unofficial theories. Law enforcement thinks that Terrence had a possible panic attack or mental breakdown. The sheriff said there are about two people per square mile and 8,500 square miles. So it's only 16,000 people total in the area. A very large, open, unpopulated area. It's one of those things where if somebody runs out in a certain direction, he could have fallen through some deadfall. Like, it would be very hard to find somebody if they fell through some, you know what I mean? Yeah. He he could have fallen into a hole. I just, there's a TV show. I don't know if I want to, can we just say spoiler alert? <laughs> spoiler alert. Fast forward for the next minute. So there's this uh, really cool series that came out on HBO called Underground Railroad. And the whole series, there's a, a particular person that what he does for a living is find missing slaves. And he has dedicated his whole life because this is the one slave that got away from him. And it turns out that she didn't get away. She didn't get to freedom. A few steps out of the plantation that she came from, she got bit by a snake, fell into the river and died. Oh, God. So my point is, how often does that happen? You know, somebody's on a hike and they slip and fall into a weird crevice and they just die. And then everyone's like, it's a serial killer, you know? Yeah. And their bones are found decades later, you know? Yeah. There was a little boy that happened to was camping with his dad and disappeared. They searched and searched and searched and searched and searched and eventually found his remains. And he was still pretty close to where they had searched. They just didn't find him. Yeah. Friends and family think the production crew and sheriff's office were very unhelpful. That's what the family says. It's Let like me just outsider. add this, that he was black. He is black. We don't know what happened to Terrence. Terrence is a black man. There's... And I don't know if his race was what made him an outsider, but he is. Well, no, I'm just American. saying it's an element here. That's a part, big part of something. Yeah, It could be, yeah. Parents hinted at race playing a role. The father went on a radio station when this topic came up. The detective on the case responded via email, explicitly denying race as playing a role in their investigation of Terrence. Terrence's sister rejects the idea that he wasn't doing a good job because based on, I think other co-workers from different shows also say that it would be unusual, the behaviors they were describing. Uh -huh. um, so 
So there's no evidence of foul play, right? It's just the family. It's a group of 12 people. If someone did something to him, that's hard to get 12 people to keep their mouth shut. Yeah, I think the parents are upset about how the production has treated them. I mean, this is kind of one of the things when accidents or things happen in workplaces or on sets, that everyone is just mortified of the legal consequences. Like the Uvalde thing, right? Where people are just not being forthcoming because... They're all trying to protect... So this is from the article, Possible Scenarios. Okay, so they do bring up the suicidal mental breakdown thing. Apparently there were several entries in his journal about being tired of London and travel and wanting a great reset. But the great reset could just be starting a new life, not suicide. But law enforcement did say that the journal was full of indecipherable rants. Again, that's a judgment call. And I'm not, other than the great reset, where are the, I think when you make a statement like that something is full of indecipherable rants, you should probably back that up with a little more. An example, maybe. So yeah. I could know what you mean by indecipherable doesn't mean it was indecipherable. I mean, it was his thoughts. So he could have been um, writing short stories or something, you know? Exactly. Right. So People brought up drug use, but there's no evidence of that. So that would be dismissive. His dad was saying that he thought maybe he was afraid of one of the crew members. Again, the dad says that's based on texts, but the dad is also not releasing any texts that I found of threatening text messages. So again, that would need to be something that his dad or the police would need to release to substantiate something like that. And I would guess that if there were text messages from members of the crew saying, I'm going to kill you or, you know, things Mm -hmm. like that, that would be a part of the investigation. I want to know what that conversation was. The person he was actually having a conversation with, what words were exchanged between the two of them? That's what I want to know. Because what if he said, what if Terrence says, I'm leaving because my mom's sick. And the guy goes, your mom's not sick. I just talked to her last night. You're going to lose your job. I'm going to turn you in. I don't know. You know, threatening. Right. And Terrence thinks I'm going to run away. And when I run away, I'm going to somehow get back to the car that I don't know. And then just somehow found himself down a hill, tripped and fell, fell under a tree, gone. Have you ever gotten so mad? I remember once at a job where a boss made a very, very, it was after a series of super condescending remarks, he made a very, it was like the last straw remark. And I grabbed my keys, very aggressively grabbed my keys in my bag. And I just said, fuck you, I'm out of here. And I left. Mm. And then I drove away and then the office manager called me after an hour and said, are you going to come back? That's sort of anticlimactic. Well, she goes, are you going to come back? And I'm like, yeah, I'll come back. And then I came back. Yeah, that, that part's anticlimactic. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but what I was going to say is I have seen situations and I have felt at times that I'm so fed up with the way people are treating me. I'm just going to get out of here. And mm-hmm. everyone's get out of here is different, right? So it's just as plausible that this guy said enough and just you know physically ran away from the situation like screw this i'm gonna get to my car as fast as i can and get the hell out of here you know but he 
went the wrong way, ran down the hill before he could, and then couldn't get back up the hill or got disoriented, you know, or maybe he went on purpose and sat behind a tree for a couple hours just to calm down. And then something bad happened there, you know? Right. So here are some actual like scientific things that happen to people in these circumstances. Okay. Something called exposure or terminal burrowing. So if he got really cold at night without night gear, um, there's that thing about like people undressing. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about and succumbing to the elements. But people will almost always hunker down in hard to see places. And it's called terminal burrowing. Oh. Um, Animal attack, obviously, like every kind of animal that you wouldn't want to meet in a forest is in this, uh, you know, bears, wolves, coyotes, the works. Um, There's something called call of the void. Have you ever heard of that? Uh It's also known as high place phenomenon or HPP. People often feel it when they're standing somewhere high up. The call of the void can involve thoughts or urges to jerk the steering wheel and turn into oncoming traffic while diving or jumping into very deep water from a bridge or standing on a train or subway track or jumping in front of a train. When these urges come up, you quickly counter them, telling yourself not to do that. You know what will happen in those scenarios, but you think about doing it. However, it quickly passes. So sometimes when people are in high stress situations, they get this call of the void phenomenon. And there's a similar phenomenon called panic in the woods. Panic in the woods is associated with the pagan god Pan, protector of wild places. Victims experience an overwhelming feeling of paranoia, such as a sinister force is nearby and sensing imminent danger. This usually leads the person to flee from an area, desperately seeking out civilization. One that curiously more realistic, feasible. Mm-hmm. One curiously common characteristic of panic is that people often describe that the woodlands will go completely silent, deafening the witness before the loud pitch sound sets in a few minutes later. Deafening silence and paranoia in the woods are related to the real-life cryptid goat man and other group of paranormal monsters known as skinwalkers. Wow, this took a turn. (laughs) At least one article. (laughs) I I didn't know we're going to end up talking about skinwalkers. So if you want to go the paranormal route, maybe there was a demon, a skinwalker. I know this sounds ridiculous, but... What if there was a Bigfoot? They look for Bigfoot up there a lot. I mean, maybe he saw something or maybe he thought he saw something. Do you know what I mean? Here's what's weird too, though. Did you read about his backpack? No. So I'm on the, I think I'm on the same Strange Outdoors or different Strange Outdoors article because he's not the only person who's mysteriously gone missing from that particular area of the woods. And actually another person went missing on that day. Oh, I didn't know about that. On that same day. That exact same day. Let me pull that one up for you. So go ahead. Tell me about his backpack. Well, one of the things that is really weird is he ran away without his backpack, okay? And his parents were then given his backpack that he left behind on the film shoot. Right. And inside of it, camera bags, batteries, Sharpie pens, over-the-counter painkillers, cop drops, hand cream, an iPhone charger, a three-inch folding tactical knife, and a stun gun. Now, if you're going to run off into the woods and you, you plan it, that's kind of the things you take with you. I mean, I'd add food and water and a tent to it, but... I don't think he purposefully ran out into the woods. Like, I don't think it was purposeful. That's what I'm saying. Like, if he's 
purposefully had decided to run, he's taking that backpack with him. This was a spur of the moment decision mm-hmm. that I think took a turn. On the same day Connie Johnson disappeared in strange circumstances from Fog Mountain in Idaho, about 56 miles to the north. You are kidding. Nope, and they never found her either. Wow. Can you read this part? On Sunday, October 7th, so just two days later, the Idaho County Sheriff's Office was advised of another missing person, Jose Mendez Morales, Tacoma. My gosh, what is going on? So Connie Marie Johnson, 76, was working as a camp cook for Richie Outfitters. The area was very remote, no (laughs) roads, and it was accessible by horse or foot only. So So you weren't going to drive your car in there. She was seen on October 2nd when the hunters left the camp. And when they returned to camp on October 5th, Connie and her dog were gone. That's it? Just gone? Yep, that's it. Oh my God. I have even less information about her because she was the camp cook while these people were out hunting, so... She was there by herself. I could have been dragged away by a bear. So here's some speculation. If you Would you like to hear some speculation? Always. <laughs> Given her experience in the outdoors, she was well-equipped for survival. Did she fall ill or have an accident or did something else happen that day? Her daughter did not believe her disappearance was intentional. I think that she was enjoying the outdoors, which she loves, and something happened. The weather came up. She fell. I don't know. But I think she got surprised given the temperature, given the lack of time, given the lack of signs to her, and the fact that Ace is not with her, all points to dot, dot, dot. If Ace is not with her- Oh, I'm sorry. They actually found the dog. They didn't find her, but they found the dog. Three weeks later, the dog Ace turned up at the Moose Creek Ranger Station about 15 miles from the camp, but without Bonnie. The dog was examined, fed, and taken out to search for its owner, but to no avail. Okay. And I think that the Connie situation might be telling of Terrence's situation. I can understand, again, why the parents would be super upset about how they were treated by Gold Rush. And it can't go without saying that just having a little bit of compassion and empathy can go a long way. And I think you can do that without opening yourself up to lawsuits and liability. Yeah. And there are actually studies that have shown that when organizations or entities or people reach out to the people that have been hurt or the families of people and actually apologize, lawsuits actually dissolve. They disappear because that's all they really wanted was acknowledgement. Exactly. So at this point, it's been quite since 2018, they haven't found anything. And I don't think they're likely to find anything because if, if the situation is what they're saying, all those dead trees and stuff, it's like a needle in a haystack. And, you know, at this point, he would have completely decomposed and the chances of even finding bones would be really, really low, I would think. Because those trees ain't going anywhere for a long time. No, and in the years since, years since, it's likely that there have been fires through there. Animals. Terrible fires out west the last few summers. And it's possible that that would have destroyed any evidence of anything of his ever again. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. So do you ready? Are you ready for mine? You want to do a, yeah. And this one is interesting. It's, um, in 2014 and it's also somebody who was last seen running away and then disappeared. So this guy is from Berlin, Germany, and he disappeared in Bulgaria in 2014. And his name is Lars Mitank or Mitank. He's 28 years old. 
And so he met up with some friends in this resort area in Bulgaria, Golden Sands. Is and, that a resort? Yeah. Okay. And at one point in the trip, he got into how European is this? He got into a bar fight over soccer. <laughs> okay. Over which of their favorite football clubs was the better one with this, right. this group of dudes. In LA, it would be about Star Wars. <laughs> oh my God. That's so true. <laughs> um, so in Montana, it's Montana versus Montana State because it's the, it's the, the cat's grizz and nobody can, they can't even be in the same room together. So at one point he had this fight. And so here's where it gets really strange. His friends, and this is like what happens with dudes, his friends went home to the resort away from that bar without him. But that's dudes do that. Girls don't do that. Dudes do. And the next morning he shows up at the resort and he's apparently been beat up. Like apparently he says he got into a, a big fight with those guys and that they actually beat him up when his, after his friends left. And so his friends were concerned about him. Like, did he have a concussion, whatever? So he did go to a physician, whatever form of their doc in the box or whatever there went to a doctor was prescribed some medicine. And yes, you shouldn't fly home tomorrow. He, he was told because I'm concerned about this concussion. Well, his buddies offered to stay a few more days with him. And he said, no, 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 that's fine. Go ahead and go home. I'll be fine. Okay. He uh, was taking a medicine called Cephrazil, an antibiotic to prevent his wounds from becoming infected. And the doctor said, stay here because of your head injury. So he checked into a hotel that was near the airport at this point. And at that hotel, there's video of him acting very strangely. He's hiding inside of an elevator. He's like sprinting down the hallway. He's leaving the building at midnight, coming back later. And nobody knows why he called his mother. And he said things like, they're following me, mom, they're right behind me, whatever version of German that is. They're following me, mom, you know, and <laughs> he liked my German. And then and that he was pathetic, did this strange but go ahead. <laughs> it was really nice, right? Yeah. And then he did this strange thing where he asked his mother via text message to get him information about that particular medicine he was taking, but he also told her to block his credit cards. There's some reports of him also like muttering about they're following me or they're about to get me or whatever. So he went to the airport on July 8th, 2014, and he went to see a doctor in that airport and the doctor approved him to, to get on the plane. He said, you're fine. Go. Do it. They have doctors in the airport in Germany. We also had that happen when we were in um, Spain where Curtis got very sick and we went to the doctor and the doctor of the little village was at the airport. It's like a clinic or something in the airport? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like right next to the Cinnabon? <laughs> could you could you smell like Cinnabon while you were getting Oh, I wish, man. <laughs> Watching Better Call Saul, I'm like, that smell, that was the best smell. <laughs> uh the cinnabon not the tv my point is so the doctor reported to police later after all this that lars looked nervous and kept asking him about the medication he was taking for whatever reason he was concerned about this medication he asked his mom about it i'm sorry asked, i just can't get over it do you like do you tell the doctor like hey i'll be at the chilies <laughs> too having a beer just and do you get like a buzzer <laughs> no <laughs> Why are you obsessed with a doctor at the airport? It's just a weird place for there to be a doctor, don't you think? Do they have know. like do they have like surgery centers there and 
Are you quite finished? I'm done. Okay, thanks. So he met with the airport physician. You want to go on about that some more? No. Nope. Okay. No, I'm I'm over it now. And here's one of the things that is very strange. I'm reading a part of this is from All That's Interesting, and there's a couple of their sources I'll put on our website. So that airport at that time was undergoing reconstruction or what's the word? Um, remodeling, right? And there was a construction worker who entered that office that while he was with the doctor, I guess. And he overheard Lars say, I don't want to die here. I have to get out of here. He dropped all of his belongings on the floor, ran down the hall outside of the airport, jumped over a fence, ran towards a nearby forest, ran into the forest, and was never seen again. End of story. Okay. I mean, obviously I have many questions. Sure. So does this drug he was taking, does it have hallucinogenic? Like like psychotic... I don't know. Let me say what the name of that drug is and I'll look it up. This was, um, this is him sprinting through the hotel. I mean, that guy's running, like he's running from something. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? I've never yeah. run like that in my life. And I used to run track. Where is the name what a, what of What track medicine? event did you do? I did the 200 and 800 relay and the triple jump. Wow. The triple jump. Uh-huh. I could not do the long jump, but I could, I can usually medal in the triple jump very weird okay what is cefprazil side effects uh what are we asking psycho psychosis yes <laughs> psychosis one of the side effects side effects hallucinogenic qualities psychosis paranoia Watch oh my it. gosh listen to this okay oh my gosh how weird is this tell me this particular drug is generally used for urinary tract infections, which says that is a harsh antibiotic. I mean, that is a that is a fucking serious antibiotic because they usually give you the ones that like, if you drink milk or alcohol or anything during it, you're going to fucking die. Like it's very serious. And look at this headline from a, a research by Safinaz Mustafa and Brian Miller. Um, came out in 2014, the year this happened. Antibiotic-associated psychosis during treatment of UTIs. There you go. Isn't that interesting? So, I mean, obviously, I know you're going to give us more details about the bar fight and all that, but, and this goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of our show, and it relates to the story that I just told you, and it relates to this story. So, you know, when you take Terrence, here's a guy that's being potentially treated really badly on a work site and as a guy he's kind of got to suck it up i mean i'm sure that's probably how he felt yeah now you know being beaten up has got to be traumatizing for a male as much as it would be for a female i think people don't take that into account that when and i have heard accounts of men who've been like mugged or attacked and they become agoraphobic and they don't want to leave their houses and they're constantly paranoid that people are trying to hurt them well i think when you get beat up by a couple of guys that's definitely going to and you're in a place that you're not familiar with that's definitely going to cause a little bit of a lot of anxiety a lot of paranoia and do we know any details about the fight or who he fought with? Well, what was going on? this 
particular fight, I can tell you this, that they're, they were arguing about these football clubs. And, and I'm just going to say these words as if they mean something to me. S. V. Werder Bremen or Bayern Munich. Okay. So there were four dudes at this bar that he was arguing with. I'm sure everybody was sober as fuck. And and our friend Lars here, Matank, was a Werder supporter, and the other four dudes supported this Bayern Munich group. And so the the group saw Lars, his friends, his friends, not the other dudes, but his friends saw him leave the bar before they did. And they assumed he'd gone back to the resort or the hotel or whatever. But like I said, dudes just do that. You turn around and, you know, you're with a group of people that includes dudes and you turn around, the dudes are gone. And they said they didn't see him again until the next morning. But here's the weird part. His friends, um, when they were talking to authorities after he disappeared, different friends offered different accounts of what had happened at that bar with those those dudes. So some of the friends told the police that Lars was beaten up by the same group of dudes that he'd fought with about soccer. But some of his other friends said that they thought that the men had hired a local guy to do the job for them, which I think is really weird. But if you think about it, all this stuff could be coming from Lars, who suffered a concussion at the very least and was disoriented from having just been beat up and traumatized, like you said. And so all of these events just kind of come around. And then I just was reading this other thing that seizures and psychosis acute psychosis and hallucinations are actually not unheard of on several antibiotics like cipro is the one that you usually get for uti here in the u.s mm-hmm. and that's the one that is very serious you cannot drink a sip of milk or alcohol on it it has bad side effects you got to be very careful and apparently that's the thing i never knew i could get psychosis from it but then then i have to go with how on earth did he just disappear into the woods and never get seen again how does that happen in a place right by an airport you know that's actually the strangest part is that he was never found like to me i don't care girls or guys and maybe it's just how people were raised and what their mentality is but i feel like if james was on a trip with some other guys that he was friends with and one of them got beat up and the guy was like no no go back home i'll be fine i feel like james would be like no i'm staying with Because we had a friend recently that snapped his Achilles and Oof. and his wife was out of town. And so he had to have surgery on his Achilles. So he literally had nobody. Um, he's from another country. He had nobody to take him to the hospital or take him home afterwards. So James volunteered. And this guy was going to take an Uber to and from his surgery. No, <laughs> no. And he's just so <laughs> independent, you know. And so there were a lot of things like right after the surgery where James was like, do you want me to get you some food? Do you want me to, he's like, no, no, I'll just do this and that. And James was like, nah, bro, you know, yeah. I need to, I need to sit with you or whatever. So I know that some guys are like that, but I feel like, wow, I feel like his friend, friends, at least one of them should have stayed back with them. Right. But like you said, I mean, Lars himself is probably like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And yeah. James's friend is lucky. James just said, you know, no, I'm not going to listen to that. I just had lunch with my friend. Do you remember Paul from tech? Anyway, 
he, we just had lunch the other day and he was talking about his surgery. He did the same thing. He just went home. And I was like, dudes, I don't get it. Becky, if we go on a trip and I get yeah. beat up and I tell you I'm fine, you can leave me in another country. Don't listen to me. Fuck that. If I got a good seat on that plane, I'm not giving it up. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to show you the airport that he ran from. There's a lot of woods around it. Wow. So that's the structure, that that big thing right there. And look at all the green woods around him, around mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And this happened years ago. I'm sure it was a lot more woodsy back then, you know? I mean, could this be another, another one of those scenarios where he just like burrowed in and like fell he's... into a well i mean seriously yeah there was Great. another story like you just said a minute ago there's another story recently it might have been fiction i don't know it all blurs they were looking for this person for years and years and years and it turns out they were just in the well then they died right. you know it's just like right. it does happen think about people who have big ass mansions and stuff you know what right. i mean <laughs> lose their own kids in that thing you could die at hearst castle and nobody would ever find you that's like going into a forest i've never been there i, I want to go next time i go out there i'll go with you okay let's do i it. actually haven't been there but i i've just looked at look even I, just looking at photos is ridiculous yeah. it's what it's on my bucket list i also want to go to big sur that's where i got married oh really mm -hmm. yeah the well, maybe you could renew your vows at like Chris wants to renew our vows like in Vegas with Elvis or something. Oh, uh, well, we could do it like at the Cracker Barrel in Big Sur. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie. <laughs> I think that's about it for the day. It's all I can do for you. Uh, stick the fork in me and Marie needs a nap. So thank you for nap. listening. Please give us a nice review. I do have one I need to read, at least one I need to look for. At some point I will do that. It's promising. And follow us on Instagram, Now Fear This Podcast, and our website, fearthispodcast.com, where you will find life-changing content. And don't, if you glean anything from this episode, no matter how scared you are, don't run into the woods. Bad oh, idea. shit. If the woods are near you, just stay out of them. Just, like, just stay where you are yeah just, whatever just, you're just, scared of the woods is worse the woods are not the answer <laughs> they are not <laughs> all right take your stand there <laughs> yes okay all right Bye. see y'all <laughs>